Welcome to the Heartland Community Church Podcast, a podcast designed to help you in your personal spiritual growth. In this podcast, Eric Park's teaching is titled Kingdom Math. Hey, good morning, Heartland. I'm so glad that you're with us this morning um, and that we can worship together. It's, it's good to be together. Even if we have to do it this way, I'm grateful. You know, in this season that has changed how we gather, I think it's changed a ton about all of our lives. Anybody else feel like um, life has changed a ton for you? Yeah, Chrissy and I were talking, that's my wife, we were talking about like how we have all these new roles. Like things have changed so much. First, we feel like we're both full-time sweatsuit models. Anybody else? Yeah. Don't be judgy. Because all of you right now watching this, you're wearing sweats. What I want you to do, in fact, is if you have a little bit of courage, take out your phone, take a selfie of you and your family watching this service in your sweatsuit or robes and post it. Post it. Tag Heartland. Let people know this is how we roll. This is how we get ready for church. Chris and I feel like we're full-time sweatsuit models. I feel like I'm a gardener for the first time in my life because... I look forward to going out and doing yard work like I've never looked forward to it, just to get out of the basement where I work most days. And then, um, you know, one of the things that we've become are teachers. Like, we're our kids' educators. And let me say, if you're a professional educator, one, I am sorry. I didn't know that my children were what they are. I'm so sorry, and I'm so grateful Thank you for what you do for our children. Um, And then Chrissy aren't just the teachers. We've become, you know, like uh, the principals. We're vice principal. And she, I'm the vice principal. She's the head principal. She's made that very, very, very clear. But either way, if I were giving ourselves a grade, we're probably getting a D plus at best, right? Like we, we were... We were teaching our kids and failing miserably at math, right? And this is what Harry said. How much of this do you think you'll use in life? Zero. You don't think you'll use math at all in life? Well, I thought you meant this exact lesson. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't know how you'll use this lesson in life? Mm-hmm. All right, well, let me say this. If you are leading your life in such a way that you never use math, congratulations, you are my dog, Theo. Because you and I, we used applied, we use applied math like every single day. Um, this is what Galileo says about, math, about mathematics. He says, the great book of nature can be read only by those who know the language in which it's written. And this language is mathematics. You see, math provides us with the eyes to recognize all of these hidden patterns of life. You don't believe me? Well, the truth is that math will tell you it keeps a jumbo jet in the air. Math, it explains how we can see and hear a football game on TV, which I cannot wait to see a real live football game on TV, anybody else. Math allows us to predict the weather. It helps us understand the behavior of the stock market. And math, like it's behind microwave ovens and telephone cables and children's toys pacemakers, automobiles, computers, all of these things, they operate through mathematical principles. You see, math provides us 
with eyes to recognize and describe these hidden patterns, these patterns that they do exist in the physical, biological, and social worlds. And so it is with these things, so it is with God. You see, with God, there is this undisputable logic, like a pattern, almost mathematic, that we can apply in our faith that if we understand these patterns well. These are like God-sized equations that apply to our lives. And um, we're gonna be talking about math, God-sized math today. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to be looking at a story that some of you will be familiar with. Um, And you're familiar with it for two reasons. Either you grew up in church or you're my age and you had to watch Charlton Heston play Moses every single year, yeah? We're looking at the story of Moses. Now, I wanna give us some background on this guy named Moses so that um, we're all sort of up to speed. So here's the story. Moses is found in the book of Exodus. Now that's in the Old Testament, right at the very beginning of your Bibles. When Moses was born, um, he, he, was, he was born uh, while Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. Now, Pharaoh was afraid of them because they, he thought they might take over his country. They were getting so big. So he ordered that all the Hebrew baby boys be killed at birth so that they wouldn't grow up and fight against them. So to save Moses, who was one of these little baby boys, his mother had a plan. She was gonna hide him in a basket down by the side of the River Nile. Moses had an older sister, her name was Miriam. She went down and watched that basket, watched over that basket until Pharaoh's daughter came to the river to wash. She found Moses in that basket and then Miriam, his sister, came and told Pharaoh's daughter that she knew a woman who could nurse the baby. This was Moses' actual mom. Pharaoh's daughter took him back and Moses lived with her as though he was her son. Moses grew up as an Egyptian prince, but he learned he was a Hebrew, never forgot it. And one day, the Bible tells us that Moses lost his temper and he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave to death, had to run away to another land. So years pass, Moses becomes a shepherd. And this is where we're picking up the story. It's 40 years later. Moses was a shepherd, not a prince. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something in your life so long that you thought to yourself, wow, I don't think anything will ever change, right? Have you ever been there? Like, this feels like it's never gonna end. I was thinking about Moses' story, 40 years. Remember, he was a prince. He came from the lap of luxury. He found himself out in the desert tending sheep for 40 years. And I wondered, I wonder how many times he said to himself, wow, what a waste. I used to be a prince. Not anymore. I I used to be something. Not anymore. I was important. Not anymore. You ever looked at your surroundings and thought, how in the world did I get here? You ever looked at your life and go, how did it end up this way? And then followed it up with, how could God ever use this, me? Because I'm just a, you, you fill in the blank. 
Look, if you've ever felt this, one, you're in good company. I'm pretty sure Moses felt this way too. And if you've ever felt this, this message today, it's for you. So Exodus chapter one, verse three, it says this. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And by the way, might I point out, to add insult to injury, he's, doing, he's working for his father-in-law. Look, I have a son-in-law, I love him. I can tell you that if he had to work for me, he'd be like, really, my father-in-law? So pick back up. He led the flock far into the wilderness, came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. So now remember, Moses has been with sheep. So he sees this bush, it's on fire, and he's like, all right, I'm gonna go check it out. When he goes over to the bush, the bush starts to speak to him. Yeah, the bush tells him to take his shoes off. And then the Bible tells us that when the bush starts talking to him, uh, Moses is terrified. You think? Well, he's terrified for a couple of reasons. One, he's out in the middle of nowhere and now he has a burning bush and now the bush is talking to him. And he's thinking to himself one of two things. Well, either this bush is really talking to me, which is terrifying, or I've lost my mind, which is terrifying, right? He's like... I have lost my mind. This is what 40 years of being in the desert with sheep does to a man. Bible says that through the bush, God continues to speak to him. Bible says, the Lord tells him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. So remember, Moses is a nobody. He was a somebody, but now for 40 years, which is a really long time, he's a nobody. I I, I can imagine Moses, right? Just stop for a second and and play this out, not like it's a story you you saw on a movie screen, but like he's this real person, like if it were you. I mean, I see him looking around thinking, okay, One, why are you telling me this, right, Mr. Burning Bush? I'm talking to a burning bush, but I've been in the desert way too long. I got to go. And then the bush talks again. But this time it gets even crazier because it says, oh, by the way, I've seen it. And I need you, Mr. Nobody, to go do something about it. You ever ever had a moment where you looked around and you hope nobody's looking? Because I don't know. You're picking your nose in the car or did something gross or tripped and fell. You ever had one of those moments? I feel like here's Moses in the middle of the desert and God says, I see my people. I want you to do something about it. I can almost see him with his shoes off looking around going, I hope nobody asked me about this. But he still talks back to the bush and he says, look, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Me, who am I? Great, you've seen my people, but who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? I don't know if you got the telegram, but I've been a shepherd for 40 years. That's a nobody. 
He says, look, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're gonna ask me, okay, well, what's his name? What am I gonna tell him? I imagine him playing the whole thing out, right? Where he says, well, I was out with some sheep. I was in the middle of the desert. It was really, really hot, really, really hot. Ever been to a desert that's really, really hot? And then there was this bush and it caught on fire and the bush started talking to me. Yeah, a bush, I know, right? He argues with God because he's like, look, I can't do this. This is crazy. He says, I can't do what you're asking me to do. In Exodus chapter four, he's arguing, saying, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, he said, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Now, this is a stick that I picked up in the middle of nowhere with my son Graham on a camping trip. And we keep it around because we spent like the whole two days just like carving it. It was just like one of these cool things where he and I carved it, we talked at nights. But this would probably be similar to what Moses had in his hand when, when God says, listen, that stick, that's all you need. I want you to trust me. Now, now think about it. Moses has to be thinking, you want me to go to the most powerful man in the world in a place that wants me dead and tell them that you, God, who spoke to me through a burning bush that maybe wasn't burning, I mean, I can't hardly explain that, you want me to ask him to release my people and you want me to tell him to do that because of the stick in my hand. Because see, if I'm Moses, I'm saying, sure, I'll go do it, fine, but could I have a tank? How about a rocket, an army? But a stick, a stick, God? And it's in this moment right here that we see a God-sized equation beginning to form. An equation that applies to you and me. Part one of the equation, whatever you have. You know what God wanted to show Moses? Same thing he wants to show you. That all you need, you already have. The very thing that Moses would need to fulfill his calling, it was already in his hands before God ever showed up in that burning bush. It was that staff, it was the stick. Now, now this is what you need to know. If you fast forward, and I'm kind of giving the story away, that stick was never again to referred to as a stick. Throughout the rest of Moses' life, he carried that staff with him. And it was forever referred to as the staff of God. Throughout the rest of his life, you know this, like every single miracle that he performed, it was done with the raising of his hands with that stick. With the stick, Moses struck the Nile River. He turns it to blood. With that stick, he brought a plague of frogs out of the water. With the stick, he struck the dust and turned it into gnats. He stretched it towards heaven, bringing down fire, thunder, hail. He brought the plague of locusts, divided the Red Sea, struck a rock with it and got water. And then he held it high in the air and his warriors prevailed in battle. See, the staff of God. But, 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 that's only the first part of the equation. 
You have to have the addition. And that's the second part of the equation. Plus the power of God. See, this is what's huge. It was Moses' willingness to surrender what he had to God's power, to take what he already had that brought it to life. See, it's the equation. Whatever you have plus God's power will always equal enough. See, we, we see this all over the Bible. People who have something in their hands, they surrender it to God and say, God, you have it. He adds his power to it and it equals enough, right? Like, think about it. Hannah held a small child in her hand, but when she gave him to God, he became what? A great prophet. Ruth had a stalk of grain. She surrendered it to God. God uses it to sustain her and her family's life lead her by his providence to be included in the lineage of Jesus. Samson, in his hand, is a jawbone of a donkey. We know what he does with it. David, a sling, slayed a mighty enemy that terrorized his people. All the widow had was enough food for one more meal for her and her son, but God used it to feed her family and the prophet throughout famine. And and in the New Testament, all the little boy had was a sack lunch but Jesus used it to feed 5,000 C. This is the equation. And it's used throughout scripture all the time. Whatever I have, when I surrender it and add God's power, it always equals enough, always. And so Heartland, I'm asking you this question, like two questions. First, What do you have? Like, What do you have in your hand? Now listen, this is key. Oftentimes, the things that you're holding on to, they might seem very ordinary, something that God could not use. But regardless of how you see it, what do you have? Because here's the truth. Every single one of you that are listening to my voice, you have something that God can use for his glory and to advance his kingdom. And let me be clear, that's not just a couple of you. All of us, we all have something. You all have gifts and talents and abilities, resources that are in your hands right now. 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how God has given each one of you gifts. And, and, And look, you might be like Moses, you might not even realize you have something in your hand. Moses didn't, he carried that thing around for years. You may just need to recognize what you have like Moses did. But listen, it's not until God asked him the question, what's in your hand, that he realized that he had something God could use. Do you think Moses ever had any idea that that run-of-the-mill shepherd's staff would become the staff of God? Of course he didn't. And that leads to the second question, Hartland. Will you give what you have to God? Remember the equation. What you have plus God's power. That, in, that sort of infers that you'll release it to him. That's when it equals enough. See, what you have doesn't accomplish kingdom work without the power of God. See, without the addition 
of God's power from Moses, that stick, it just stays a stick. But the minute he was willing to give it to him, that's when it all started to happen. Listen, I, I, I don't know what you have in your hand, but you have something. And my guess is, for so many of you, it has been there the whole time, long before today. And it may not have seemed very valuable or even useful, but that is what's so cool about this God-sized equation, right? It doesn't have to look huge. I was reminded of this just this week. I have a good friend that I work with. His name is Keith. And um, he actually has been helping me think through some ideas about how do we do a better job advancing the kingdom. Now, Keith is a data genius. You'd look at what he does with his day job, like understanding and analyzing data. And on the surface, you might think, well, yeah, that's a really good skill to have in the marketplace. People might pay a lot of money for that, but I'm not sure if that's a kingdom skill. And yet, Keith has stepped in to use his skill actually to help us here at Heartland begin to understand how do we do a better job reaching a world that is very digitized, as we all know now, that is also hungry for the gospel. Keith has a skill set that sometimes someone might look at and say, yeah, that's not a church skill set. Like, you, you, you can't teach with that. You can't lead kids with that. But the truth is, what I'm watching is as this guy just sort of takes this skill and says, God, you can have it. I'm watching God do something with it and begin to transform lives. See, every one of us has something. It might be your brain or your voice, your guitar, your pen, your leadership, your creative communication, your discipline, your money, your hammer, a kind word, your compassion, your listening ear, your listening ear, your talents, your skills. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God wants to use what's in your hand. And it's funny because oftentimes I, I think we all do this. We'll look around and we'll see other people with skills and we'll make comments like, well, if I had what they had in their hand, I could do something awesome for God. Come on. You've said that. I've said it. I've looked at other gifted people and thought, well, if I could speak as well as them or if I had that kind of leadership chops or if I could write like that, I get that, but here's the truth. God isn't asking you what your neighbor has. He's asking, what do you have? He's asking me to give my gift, even if it seems insignificant. Look, I don't know where you see yourself in this equation. Maybe you don't see what you have, but you have something. And this is what I'm telling you. You can get off the sidelines and you can do amazing things for God. But if and only if you're willing to give it to him. No more excuses. No more sitting on the sidelines. No more 
saying, oh, I'm just wasted, couldn't use me, can't use this gift, no more. It's simple. It might be that you need God to help reveal it to you in the same way that Moses needed it revealed to him. But either way, a simple prayer of God, use me this day is the start. God, use me this day. And then when he prompts you, do it. God's size equation. This is what God wants to do with us, Heartland. And I'm asking, will you give him what you have? This is the Heartland Community Church Podcast. Eric Park's message today is Kingdom Math. If you'd like to experience the entire service this message came from, go to heartland.cc and click on the watch page. Or you can go to the Heartland Community Church YouTube channel, or you can watch it on the Heartland app. Search Heartland CC in the App Store.